Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. gentlemen welcome to the fourth edition episode um saga of the caribbean cricket podcast my name is Michelle st patrick hewitt and i'm your co-host and with me we have yep i'm regular co-host santoki nangulendran back again for the fourth episode so uh we've got a lot to talk about this this uh episode mash yeah i can't believe we've managed to record uh another episode within it's actually less than a month since we did the last one. So so this is yeah. amazing. For two for two West Indian men, this is record time. <laughs> record. We're, 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 starting to, we're, we're starting as we mean to go on. And actually, before I even continue, uh, let me just say to all the listeners and anyone who hears this, I don't know exactly when this will come out, but Happy New Year to, to all the listeners. Yeah, Happy New Year. 2020, this is being recorded on the 1st of January 2020. So... Happy New Year to all the West Indies fans, all the all the diaspora. Yeah, Happy New Year to everyone and um, all the diaspora. What's that screaming yeah. in the background? Oh, it's my my partner's an Arsenal fan, so um, they just scored, I believe. Right, so uh, well done, um, anyone who's listening to this. You're going to be having um, highlights in the background of whenever Arsenal are doing well. Um, uh, <laughs> so well, based, um, based on their comment form, it won't be too. Any screaming, I don't think. <laughs> um, right, before we actually properly get into it, Santoki, let's deal with the, the big, big news first. Congratulations are in order um, okay. because uh, you are engaged. Yeah, yeah. I, I dropped the big question on uh, Monday the 30th of December. I had to I had to follow in my idol, Shimon Hetmeyer's uh, footsteps and uh, pop the big question. I believe he done it on Christmas Day. It motivated you, yeah? It motivated me, man. Guyanese icon, and then I believe I believe Hardik Panja did it today, New Year's Day. So uh, it seems to be that time of the time of the year for the proposals flying about everywhere. Love is in the air. Let me just do a bit of commentary uh, to signal the the brilliance of your engagement. Santolki Nagilendran, remember the name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, iconic. I'm gonna have to save that. <laughs> any engagement from now on anybody who wants me to come along and do uh, my Ian Bishop um, impression <laughs> we, we can do that at any time but no seriously congratulations man big up thank you very much big up yourself and your partner on the, on your engagement love it thank you thank you wicked wicked so um, so let's get into it last time we spoke um, I was listening back to episode 3 um, prior to doing this recording and uh, you had predicted that India would beat the West Indies. I'm trying to remember which one you said. Um, you said they would beat them 3-0 in 2020s and 2-1 in ODIs. Yeah. And I said they'd beat them 3-0 in uh, ODIs, but 2-1 uh, in 2020s. Um, mm-hmm. And we both kind of got one of our results right. 
Yeah, basically 50-50 on each one. And um, no, really, really impressive performance from West Indies throughout this whole tour in India. I mean, if you compare it to last year, when we toured around September last year in India, and you compare the performances now, it's such a drastic improvement under the new uh, captaincy of Pollard. It feels like there's a team that's progressing, whereas I felt before, such as in last year's tour, it was just there was no there was no philosophy or kind of no game plan. It was kind of like let's just throw everyone in and see see what we can do. Whereas this time it felt like there was actual captaincy, a game plan going on, and progress. The players seemed to be getting better as the tour went on. Yeah, one hundred percent. I I I have to agree with that. Um, I I you know I I kind of feel like um. It, it's, it sounds bad to say the difference is Pollard's captaincy, but when you watch the games back, it was so clear that Pollard, the players were playing for Pollard, and I felt that yeah. was obvious. Yeah, I mean, if you look at Holder, I mean, Holder, he's a great player. He was obviously thrown into a position out of his hands, but whenever there was, whenever West Indies were kind of falling behind in the game, it was like he was trying to hide or he, you could see his frustration he wasn't rallying the troops whereas Pollard is like all the time he's, he was in front of the camera you could see him moving players around talking to people pumping everyone up it just felt like we had a captain with a strong presence yeah and um, I, would, I, would, I wouldn't call it Virat Kohli-esque but mm. what you saw with Pollard is when things weren't going right it was clear in his body language or if he felt that somebody was doing something subpar yeah. It was clear in his body language to us at home and to clearly to the players on the pitch as well that he expects better standards. Um, and he led by example. Now, some will say he didn't in terms of, OK, so his batting didn't always come off. His bowling mm. sometimes went for runs. But when I talked about him leading by example, I mean, he had a winner's mentality. Yeah. And that, that's a hard thing to kind of quantify to someone what that means. But I call it high expectations and not settling for the game just drifting uh, yeah. meaninglessly to a defeat. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you look at the first the first game of the tour, which was, I think, the T20 in Hyderabad, um, obviously West Indies posted a, a, a brilliant score, 207. In a T20 match, you'd fancy your chances scoring over 200. When India started to bat, you could see, obviously, our bowling wasn't at its best. Kohli was on the rampage. And then I think Pollard came in the 17th over and just yeah. bowled and took a wicket. And it was kind of like that. He was kind of saying, all right, if you guys aren't going to step up, I'll show you, like, what how it needs to be done and then he kind of led by example and bold himself so I feel things like that kind of motivate players to think okay we've got a leader who wants to win so badly like we need to follow his route yeah I, I, I definitely agree and using that as a segue let's uh, just look at those T20 sorry performances so in the T20s um, so West Indies went down 2-1 lost mm -hmm. the opening lost the opening T20 um <laughs> You know, if a team chases down 207, or sorry, two, yeah, 207, and they do it in 18.4 overs, I kind of think that's kind of standard for... If you win before the last yeah. over in T20s, that's kind of a standard chase nowadays. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, no that's not a nail-biter. Um, and no. it, um, where was it again? Hyderabad. Uh, uh, that yeah. was always a run-fest. Um, yeah. West Indies would feel disappointed that they couldn't close it out. They would have felt they had a chance with 207, but I wasn't I wasn't too disappointed with that. Because remember, what we wanted to see on this tour was them giving India a game. Yeah. Um, and I classed that game. OK, granted, India chased it down, but I classed that as being competitive. Yeah. And I think I think one thing that didn't help was I think it was last summer or maybe the summer before when we played India in the West Indies and um, Kirk Williams got Kohli out and he did his famous um, notebook celebration where he wrote Kohli's name in his imaginary notebook and put it in his pocket. Mm. And Kohli was so angry by that. And then and if you look at this game, Kohli just smashed him out of the park. I think he did even bowl four overs and Kirk Williams and he went for 60 runs. Yeah. Kohli um, was 94 or 50. Yeah, uh, I remember. What and you don't want to be facing a wild up Kohli. Yeah, I remember watching that and uh, Williams got carted all. And that was Williams after having a good um, series against Afghanistan. Um, yeah. And he got carted all over the place. I, I think if I remember rightly, in the second 2020, he actually did come back and get yeah. Coley's wicket, in fact. So it was a, it was a good, um, it was kind of a good duel between them across the piece. Um, second 2020, obviously West Indies got back in 
got back in it, led by Lendl Simmons, 67 not out. Um, yep. And they they won that one, chasing um, and chased down 170 and won it by eight wickets. And to be honest, Antolki, at that point of the tour, they had by winning that one game, they'd already surpassed anything that I'd wanted from them <laughs> across <laughs> yeah, the whole tour. I think in 2018 we lost 3-0 in that in the T20s at least. Mm. Um, so yeah, already already that was progress being shown by that one win. It was pretty it was a pretty comfortable win as well. Yeah, um, they chased down the 170 in uh, eight again 18.3 overs, which is a relatively comfortable chase yeah. by 2020 standards. Now obviously in the last 2020 they got smashed, um, but again yeah. injured batted first. Um, West Indies bat themselves to try and chase it down again. Um, because of the due factor that tends to come into play in India. Um, but yep. once, led by uh, KL Rahul's 91 from 56, yep. once injured made 240, there was no way. Uh, a West Indies with no, Dre Russin and Sunil Narayan and maybe a Chris Gell, maybe that's got a chance of chasing that down. But yep. as soon as I saw 240, I was like, yeah, this game's over. You know what, though? If you're looking at the positives, I mean, as you said, we exceeded expectations by winning one match in the first place. It was a good innings from Pollard because he got 68 or 39, which kind of put him back into form in the T20 format in terms of his batting. Yeah, true. True. And actually, um, interestingly enough, not that it's not really about averages in T20. Sometimes it's more about looking no. at strike rates. But um, strike rate, yeah. looking at the, the, the performances across the piece, Pollard did have the best average. Uh, for the West Indies batsmen across the three games. Uh, granted, he only batted two innings, but he averaged over 50. Um, Hetmeyer crucially returned to form. Yeah, he heard your words. He did. He wasn't happy. <laughs> again, in the previous podcast, I had said that I thought Hetmeyer shouldn't even have been on the tour for Afghanistan and India. And after, in episode three, after he'd had a miserable time against Afghanistan, I said, surely he'll get dropped. But... Mm. I have a strong feeling that Pollard is trying to mentor um, Hetmeyer. Um, He he did kind of allude to that before the game. Like, obviously, he's got the relationship, the working, the professional relationship and personal relationship with Puran. But he also did say, like, Hetmeyer, someone kind of needs to, like, bring him in and nurture him. And he can't just be this kind of free spirit as he's playing at the moment. He needs that discipline. So uh, you could obviously see the dramatic improvement straight away in in Hetmeyer's performances. Yeah, so he, he averaged 40 across across the three games uh strike rate of 151 so that that was good to see and in fact we'll get onto it uh in a minute but he took that confidence into the ODI series which is pleasing to see um yeah and to be honest every single batsman not okay i'm not gonna say they had a good series but uh, the only batsman really who you could argue failed uh was brandon king um yeah he he averaged 18, played two matches, averaged 18 across the two. Uh, I think he got dropped for the final one. I can't remember if it was in the first one or the final one. And that, again, he didn't he didn't really come off against Afghanistan. And then he struggled again against India. Yeah, I think it's, it's a tough to make your debut in India. It's always going to be tough, especially for someone like Brandon King as well. Um, I think he needs a home he needs a home summer playing for West Indies and that will determine his quality I think. Yeah, um I I, I don't want to write him off yet and I I mean no. I've, I've seen the the West Indies Cricket West Indies have released the the squad for the Ireland series which we'll talk about yeah. later on but he is in that so I think mm. they're taking the attitude that you've taken which is come on we can't judge this young boy on a on a tour of India. Lots and lots of players fail. <laughs> on their exactly. on their first tour to India, so let, we'll see what what, um, what comes of him against Ireland. What's remarkable is the way that Hetmeyer just seems to take to India. India seems to bring the best out of him, yeah, for that's... whatever reason. Now, I don't want to be cynical here, but do you think <laughs> do you think players know when they tour India just before IPL auction, I could get a deal here? Is that a, do you reckon that's a motivating factor, or do you just think? Hetmeyer knows how to play well in India. I think, based on the fact that Hetmeyer is from Guyana, Guyana has Providence up and recently had the slowest pitches probably in world cricket. 
And if you look at most Guyanese bowlers, Bishu Pomor, they're spin bowlers. So I just think Hetmeyer has acclimatised to kind of playing in conditions which are similar to Indian conditions. I mean, yeah, I, I, mean, I, I, I can't you'd knock to, it. You'd have to admire his confidence if, for instance, last year, he did come into the India tour thinking, I want to get an IPL deal and just batted it out of the park and got his million-dollar deal with RCB. But I think as a young man, he just kind of played his natural game and it, it was just stronger suited to Indian conditions. Well, either way, whatever it is, I, I'm I'm nothing if uh, not somebody who recognises the error of my ways. I'm going to shut my mouth about, uh, <laughs> about Shimron Hetmeyer. You won't hear me cussing him for a while now. Um, and, and, and do you know what? I'm glad. The, he's a 22-year-old boy. <laughs> because we can all see the talent, that's why... I and others were cussing him. So I'm, I'm glad yeah. that he's kind of rammed it back down everyone's throat and reminded, reminded us all that like, what's, what's that, what's that saying? Um, form is temporary class is permanent or something like yeah, that. Exactly. So effectively that that's what he's done. So all power to Shimron. Now, what yeah. was worrying though, or what mm. I found worrying about the 2020 series. And again, maybe this alludes to the point you've just made the bowling. In fact, to say 2020, it was the same in the ODIs. The bowling, we struggled. Um, we yeah. that top, that top three that India have um, in ODI cricket and T Twenty, we just couldn't, we couldn't regularly find a way to dismiss them. And if you look at the economy rate uh, for the West Indian bowlers, the best economy rate across the three games was um, Sheldon Cottrell, and that was mm. seven point five eight. Yeah. Hayden Walsh, 8.5, everyone else over 10. I mean, I think we've discussed this off air and West Indies and T20s have never had, have never relied on fast bowlers to win them games. They've always gone for all-rounders and then two spinners. Whereas obviously now, without Narayan playing, you've got Badri's obviously retired. Suleiman Ben, I think, is, is not playing at international, he's not international standard anymore. We haven't got the spinners to kind of win games for us and obviously with Dre Russ out with Sammy no longer playing for West Indies DJ Barber out we, we're relying on fast bowlers but that's never been our strength and that's why we're getting batted out of the park in T20 games at the moment yeah and I think you I think you said did you mention sorry did you mention um, Badri yeah Badri right yeah, so Badri. If, if you look back at our T20 successes not just the World Cups but in general one of the reasons why West Indies were so strong at either defending totals or chasing totals is you could guarantee eight overs from Senil Narine and Badri that pretty much both of them were going under six and they were picking yeah. up crucial wickets. So yeah. the rest of the bowlers could basically go at sevens and eights and it didn't matter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we just don't have... I mean, our spinners so, at the moment are Walsh and Pierre. I still think they'll come yeah. good, but they're not They're not Narine and Badri. Yeah, exactly. Well, Narine and Badri are world-class. They put us above anyone else in T20 formats. And to lose both in the team is, is a massive blow. I mean, Badri kind of retired without any fanfare, yeah. which kind of seems to suit his personality. And Narine, I'm hoping, will have him in time for the World Cup. Yeah, so, I mean... Ultimately, a 2-1 defeat, not a disaster by any stretch of the imaginations. We we did lose 2-1 to Afghanistan as well. I do think that Pollard will certainly want to see a victory against Ireland um, when those three 2020s are playing. But as we kind of said in episode three, this squad, to me, this 2020 squad at the moment is all about, um, it's about establishing who are the core seven players so that when the when Narain and Russell certainly come back, and if Bravo and Gale get in, essentially we're looking at who are the two to four players that will miss out because they haven't performed in the time. Exactly. Did you get where I'm coming from? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's gonna. I mean, it's always good to have this kind of selection dilemma we have at the moment, where we've performed well in India with basically almost a second string team if you if you're factoring four to five top players still need to come into the side so it's a good selection dilemma it's just whether the likes of Gale and Navine can slot back into the team having been out for so long yeah well and that's that's a huge question mark if we uh, move on to the uh ODI so again ODI is similar in fact no slightly different to the 2020s but a similar kind of tale 
this time with the ODIs, West Indies, shockingly, and when I say shockingly, no one expected it. First ODI, <laughs> they restricted uh, India to 287. No yeah. one expected West Indies to be able to chase that down. Even if you take into the fact of the Jew and whatnot, but it wasn't just the fact West Indies chased it down and won. It's that they only lost two wickets in chasing it down. Um, uh, yeah. I think they they chased down the 288 in 47 overs. And uh, that's when Shimron Hetmeyer re-announced himself as being what I had once called him as the next big thing, uh, smashing 139 uh, from 106 balls and Shea Holt yeah. doing his anchor roll. Yeah, I mean, it was 287 was, it's a tough chase, but West Indies, they had they actually had a game plan, as you said. Hetmeyer came out, at first he was quite cautious, after a while he just started swinging, went into T20 mode, 139 off 106 balls. Shea Hope played the anchor roll, 102 runs off 151 balls. Again, as we've discussed on previous podcasts, is that sustainable for the long-term West Indian ODI side. Can you have someone batting under 70 strike rate in chases? I mean, in this case, it worked just because Hetmeyer was batting so explosive. But if Hetmeyer had got out for, say, under 100, 80 or 90 runs, and it was down to Shea Hope to accelerate, would he have done that? That's what's always going to be the dilemma. I've now... My my pendulum has significantly shifted towards Shea Hope is, is the is the the key to this whole West Indies team. Before, okay. I think in 2017, early 2018, I was all for Shea Holt needs to get out of this ODI side. Late 2018, 2019, I was in the middle between he needs to up his strike rate, but I see why he's important. Now at the yeah. start of 2020, I've decided he is the ultimate key to the batting lineup. Now, I agree with you. The problem is Shea Holt knows that his instructions are in this side, bat through the innings. But as you say, my yeah. whole issue is, if one of Hetmeyer, Puran, you have to include Pollard in that list, and maybe yeah. Evan Lewis if he doesn't get dropped soon, if they don't come off, is it their fault, or do you then look at Shea Hope and go, why are you only on 40 off 87 balls? Do, 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 yeah. do, do you see where yeah. I'm coming from? So it's, yeah, yeah. I get the strategy, but I'm not sure if it's a... If it actually, maybe... I don't know if it, Bishop or someone said on comms. It's the strategy that this West Indies team needs right now. Is this a strategy <laughs> that can win a World Cup in... Uh, when is it? Four years or whatever it is? Yeah, I'm not years. convinced by that. Hmm. I mean, I think... If this was 1999 and the World Cup was coming, we'd have a good chance of winning the World Cup with Shea Hope because if the chase is under 300, it's brilliant to have Shea Hope because he doesn't have that ball pressure, that scorecard pressure. He can kind of bat at a 70 strike rate and we'll still be able to chase anything under 300. But in modern ODI cricket, anything under 300 is a low score these days. The majority of sides will post over 300. So it's whether Shea Hope is going to be valuable in terms of looking at it from that from that level because there's no point going to a World Cup and saying Shea Hope can anchor the innings if he can only anchor it if we're chasing under 300 because most 9 out of 10 times we're going to be chasing over 300. So I think at this point in time with no World Cup on the horizon we're kind of like it's a calm period for the ODI season mm-hmm. so we can kind of experiment for the next year I would say and see if the Shea Hope well, does prove, does prove dividends. I mean, if he can, next year, if there's an ODI abroad um, somewhere and he can lead a big chase over 300, then you might stick with him. If he can't, then you might have to think, OK, it's not going to work for the World Cup. But I do believe it, we have enough time to experiment, but I wouldn't want it to drag on for too long. Yeah, I mean, and it, it's, again, look at the points you've raised there. So that first ODI, we shot the world. And by shot the world, I mean we shot India. That's the same thing. Yeah. So we shot yeah. India by winning. <laughs> now, at that point, when we'd won two games on the tour, I was yeah. <laughs> I was bouncing Listen. around saying that this was the greatest Listen. tour of, of, well, of West Indies history. Well, me and you were doing mum shots, man. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, no, but then I think the thing that you must learn about Indian cricket is if you do beat them in an embarrassing way, yeah. they will war back. And I was worried in the second ODI that they were going to post a world record score after Rohit Sharma and K.O. Rahul 
scored swift centuries. We managed to peg them back, and I use the word peg loosely, to 3-8-7 for 5, but there was no way we would ever change yeah, that. No, no way. I'm not even going to focus on that second one. India did what we expect India to do, which was <laughs> what they did in that second ODI was what I thought was going to happen in um, all of the ODIs, which is just... Yeah. The top three, one of them bangs a century and smashes us out of the game. Uh, they did it in the second ODI, so I can't really say much. Our bowlers got carted all over the place. Game over. It didn't even matter what we did when we were batting. Uh, good I not. Will say, I will say Nicholas Puran did yes. play good. So in I was just about to say that. Case. Yeah. So Shea Hope and Nicholas Puran, um, they yeah. they Hope got seventy eight. I think Puran got seventy something as well. Um, seventy five or forty seven. Yeah. yeah. So Puran um, showed everyone why. He is highly rated um, mm. in, in limited overs cricket. Now, but the the third ODI, um, so yeah. I was doing some comms on Gorilla Cricket for the third third ODI. Now, when that one started, um, West Indies were, um, I think they were something like 90-something for two at like 22 overs. And I remember yeah. that I said on comms, I said, if West Indies don't make over 320, they're going to lose. Because I just said India have the batting ability to chase anything over 320. Now, they rallied brilliantly. Puran and I think Pollard put on a partnership yeah. uh, to take West Indies up to 315. And at, at, at the halfway stage, I, I was like, they actually... I said, that's a competitive total. I don't expect them to defend it, but it's at least competitive. Um, now, as it was, India chased it down in 48.4 overs. Um, <laughs> but... If you had said, if either one of us had been told before the start of the ODI series, West Indies are going to take it down to the last game and India are going to only win it with six balls, sorry, eight balls to go, we would have bitten your hand off yeah. for that. Yeah. So I can't, I can't, yeah, I, I can't knock it. Yeah, I mean, in the third, the third ODI, it wasn't even a comfortable chase. India did start to lose wickets and they kind of crawled over the finish line. Um, it was interesting that West Indies did experiment with um, Roston Chase coming in at three. So yeah. it'd be interesting to see what your opinions on that move is. Yeah, so uh, if I remember rightly, so Lewis Lewis struggled massively to get going. I think he made 21 yeah. off about 50. Hope Lewis, Lewis, Lewis was trying to put a claim in to make the, England, um, the West Indies test team. I was going to say. Um, and then Hope, for him, put in quite a quick knock of 42 or 50. But, yeah. So when Lewis went, Chase came in, and I remember that I criticised it at the time because um, the wicket fell at 57, it was 57 for one, and Chase came in. And I said at the time, the West Indies aren't batting quick enough to justify Chase coming in to bat with hope, of all people. Um, yeah. But I suspect the reason why they did it, and if you look at the West Indies lineup, it allows this flexibility, because Chase, in fairness has no set position in that team, if you think yeah. about it. I think Chase is there to be a floater. Now, what I suspect they thought about bringing Chase at three was, it's 57 for one, it's 15 overs have gone. We still need to build and consolidate. We don't yeah. trust Shimron to go out there and know how to build and consolidate an innings. Shimron, if yeah. he's coming in, needs to have the license to for us to say, go and uh, up the run rate. And I think... Yeah. I think West Indies' game plan, again, going forward, is very much one of build and consolidate and set a foundation for Hetmeyer, Puran and uh, Pollard to come in and have the freedom to to, 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 to bat with a ban reckless abandon, so to speak. Yeah, I think, I think yeah, they, they use that and also the fact that Chase has performed well in India in the past mm. means he was confident in that terrain and so yeah to build an innings and again it's, they don't quite trust Hetmeyer yet to build an innings which is understandable yeah 100% um, and so, so yeah you know I mean Chase made 38 Hetmeyer made 37 but it was Puran's 89 of 64 Pollard's 74 not out <laughs> of 51 that essentially set the foundation for the 315 but yeah. I think the criticism and this this is this is constructive criticism of the West Indies is that um Across the three games, really and truly, the bowling struggled. Um, yeah. They now disclaimer: 
it's against India in India. Most people's yeah. bowling is going to struggle against India in India. But what I know, what I noticed, and when I when I read later on the uh, Roger Harper's um, justification for the selection of the squad for the series against Ireland, he said in his there is an issue with death bowling um, <laughs> in the West Indies squad. They do not have the closest thing we have to a death bowler. I think is Kimo Paul. Yeah, Kimo Paul. I mean, I think Alzari Joseph could be a good hand, but I get the feeling that he's he's never quite a hundred percent. Yeah. Since he kind of, but well, did he dislocate his shoulder? Broke his arm in um, the last IPL. Since then, he's not. You can tell he's not a hundred percent. But when I did see him, when 2017, when West Indies toured England, the ODI series, he was he was a deadly bowler. He was some, and that was him at his hundred percent best. Oh, yeah, so I think if right, Alzavi yeah. Joseph can get back to form, then he would be a good shout as well yeah, to kind of lead our bowling. I forgot that you're right. I think um, when he was in England in 2017, like took a five for 50 or something in one of those. Those old yeah, eyes. So, because at the Oval, yeah. Yeah. So um, you're right. Actually, I'd forgotten about that. Oz, that Alzari. Uh, sorry, Alzari's got that in his locker. But again, if you just look at the um, the wicket, the 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 wicket numbers and averages yeah. for the West Indies bowlers were, were horrific. Basically, Kimo yeah. Paul was the top wicket taker with six, average of twenty six. So actually, Kimo comes out with some credit. No one else. Averaged under 40. Um, Jason Holder took one wicket. Uh, Hayden Walsh played one match, no wickets. Kari Pierre played two, no wickets. Alzari Joseph averaged 42 for his four wickets. Cottrell uh, averaged 41 for his five wickets. So there is clearly, in, in terms of a modern ODI side, there is still there is still work in progress to do uh, with with this ODI team in terms of definitely finding a bowling unit that can be effective in in different conditions. Um, yeah. The batting's probably at least with the batting you can sense that everyone knows what role they're supposed to be playing, but the bowling doesn't look like it can defend anything um, over. Sorry, they don't look like they can defend. They don't look like they can defend anything. <laughs> yeah, basically, but that, that's, I would say that's been a problem since 2015, since they've left out Barber and Pollard. We've never, I've never felt comfortable in West Indies defending the total. Which is why they always historically love to chase. Because and they, which is why we never, we never won an ODI series <laughs> for four years. Yeah, exactly. So um, the Island series will actually be very important in, in that yeah. regard, um, based on the fact that they, there were some bowling struggles. And actually, if I, if I if I segue into the Ireland series very quickly, if I can find it. So the the squad for the ODI first for the first and second ODIs um, have been announced um, for the Ireland series. I'm just going to read to you what Roger Harper um, has said, yeah. chairman of selectors, about the squad. So he says um, uh, there is one change from the squad which played the recent three-match ODI series against India. Jason Holder, number one ranked all-rounder, number four ranked bowler in test cricket, and Red Bull West Indies captain, who played all three formats in India, um, has been rested with a view to managing his workload. Commenting on the squad, Roger Harper, lead selector, said, The decision was taken to rest Jason due to the heavy workload he has had over the last year. With an important year ahead for West Indies cricket, we saw this as the best opportunity to give him a break to recharge his batteries and refresh his mind so he could be ready to perform at his best as our test captain throughout 2020. As the number one ranked all-rounder in test cricket and an important member of the team in the white ball formats. Sorry, said that. Said that with the wrong tone there. Harper added, the Afghanistan and Indian series told me that the team is making very positive strides. Winning the ODIs against Afghanistan, our first ODI series win for five years, followed by the very competitive performance against India, is testament to that. The team demonstrated a determination to compete and gave it every effort. Against India, the batting was consistent. And while the bowling had its moments, it is clear that we have to improve our death bowling. However, the fact that the team played in such an organised and competitive manner, con uh, manner consistently augurs well going forward. So, Santoki, the squad is <clears throat> everyone has stayed in the squad except Jason Holder has been dropped. Your thoughts? Hmm. I say dropped, rested, but I think he's been dropped as well. I, uh, yeah, my instinct is 
he's been dropped, but because he's still part of the West Indian system in terms of he's the test captain, they've kind of avoided any embarrassment of having said he's been dropped. So it kind of convenient. I do think he probably does need a break because he's been playing all three formats for quite a while now. But I feel like he's, it's because of his form. If he was in blistering form in India, he wouldn't have been dropped for this. He wouldn't have been arrested, as they say, for this um, island tour. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad you say that because when I read it, the, I immediately read that as this is a polite way of saying that we have to drop him. Because yeah. let's be honest, in the in the 2020s, he was poor. To, no, pause may be harsh, but he didn't uproot any trees. In yeah. the ODIs, he took one wicket. Now his economy was yeah. good, but he took one wicket. That's not yeah. in this West Indies ODI team. If you've got an all rounder like Jason Holder taking one wicket at mm, under six, that given that we need some we need a strike bowler basically he is take for me that means he's taking a strike bowler's position i know he's an all-rounder but if you look at his batting in in the in the um, in the series he averaged 18 so it's not like he was contributing with the bat either exactly so yeah. i i really feel like it was a polite way of saying jason you're not really we we let's look at some other options yeah I'd be interested to get your thoughts because I did see a few comments on social media saying that the likes of Hetmeyer and Shy Hope shouldn't be playing this ODI series. They should be preparing for the start of the PCL to get some form in Red Bull cricket. So what do you think should be a priority at this stage in time? Bearing in mind, West Indies do have a big tour to England coming up in about four or five months. Um, my personal view, and I think I updated the, the, the Carib cricket to a handle with it, um, my personal view is that we've we've just come off a tour of India where for the first time in ages, the West Indies ODI team looks genuinely competitive. Yeah. On that basis, you have to keep together a winning squad. I say winning, you've got to keep together a competitive squad. So I didn't think there would be any change at all to the team, because I think if you've got this spirit, you've got to try and maintain the spirit. Yeah. Um, and I just, I think you notice that you'll note that they've said this is the squad for the first and second ODI. So yeah. if they win the first and second one, it wouldn't surprise me if some people then got released after that. Yeah. So uh, I don't. I think everyone has to play. And to be honest, what I was more looking to see was would Kyron Pollard be there? Now, obviously he's a captain. He has to be. But <clears throat> he's going to be in PSL. So I just I I was just intrigued to see would he let any T20 um, commitments get in the way of his captaincy here? Mm, I think I think the timings have kind of worked out because I don't think he would if he played all the island ODIs and T20s. I think he would just miss part of the PCL if I'm not mistaken. So he's probably come to an agreement where he'll play the majority of P PSL while still while still um, playing for the ODIs for West Indies or for playing West Indian colours. Yeah, it, uh, and yeah, like I say, I think going forward, and this applies to like Dwayne Bravo and Chris Scale, if he's still going to be active yeah. West Indies, I think ultimately what Cricket West Indies want is for the players to show their commitment by saying, we'll let you go and play these tournaments, just play essentially 80% of the tournament and be free for the dates when West Indies are actually yeah. playing. I think that's ultimately yeah. what the the compromise um, is here. So I mean, so that's 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 the squad. Um, the the president ex the president eleven squad to um, play Ireland on Saturday. That's worth talking about very briefly because um, yeah. some names are in there that shows it shows who West Indies definitely have in mind should they want to include anyone in the third ODI or in the ODI squad going forward. So that squad, just for reference, is um, Darren Bravo, uh, Sunil Ambrish, Sheenal Berridge, uh, Nkrumah Bonner, Dennis Bully, Joshua De Silva, Justin Greaves, Akeem Jordan, Brandon King, Yannick Otley, Kyron Powell, Romario Shepard and O'Shane Thomas. Any words on that? Yeah, I think that's a very strong President's Eleven if you compare it to previous President's Elevens that have played touring countries in recent years. I mean, you've got the likes of Ambris, um, 
what's his name, O'Shane Thomas, Brandon King, who have all experienced at international level. So it's a formidable side, a formidable team, and it's also players who will believe they have a chance of getting back into the West Indies squad, so they'll be hungry to play. Yeah, and they've, they've actually announced Bravo as the captain um, for that yeah. as well. And it's, I, I just felt it was good to also see, just shouting out, Josh De Silva and Justin Greaves, who did well for the um, West Indies emerging players who won the, the Super yeah. 50. Um, yeah. Kyron Powell and Bravo have obviously been rewarded for being the top two run scorers um, in Super 50. And Sheen Berridge was the top wicket taker. So it's good to yeah. see that Cricket West Indies have looked at what's happened in Super 50 and said, well, come on, let's, the guys who did well, let's put them in the squad. The only name I'm surprised to not see there is Rothman Powell. Mm, interesting. But, yeah, Rothman Powell. Did he play in the Super League? Yeah, League? he was. Did he was. Um, he did. He was yeah. in the top he, five. He had a big yeah, game. he had two. Yeah. He scored. He was the top century maker, if I'm right. I think he hit. He yeah. hit two or three centuries and an astonishing strike rates. Um, I think one of his centuries he got like a hundred and twenty odd of like forty five balls or something stupid like that. Um, so given Rothman, he's not. He's not in the Bangladesh Premier League or anything, is he? Mm. I think no. Um, no, because he's just he's just he's been named in the Jamaica P, uh, PCL squad. Oh, very interesting. I was going to say my initial thoughts would be maybe he's taken up a franchise contract, but um, no, if he's in the PCL squad, then it means he must be available for Jamaica. So it's it surprising he's not in the cricket eleven. Yeah, I, that, yeah, um, that's the only only slight surprise. But it'll be interesting to see yeah. um, how they go on Saturday. And actually, if I um, if we're just going from my agenda of what we want to talk about, if I skip it to the to the what I was going to say last, let's just skip in here now. Looking at the island um, yeah. tour, I'm going to do another podcast um, maybe later this week with um, um, someone who knows Irish cricket inside out, just to give us a bit more insight on what we should be looking at with regards to Ireland. Yeah. But I, on our um, Twitter handle, I said that West Indies are overwhelming favourites, and a couple of um, our followers took me to task over that and said, no way are West Indies overwhelming favourites. Uh, and when I was trying to justify it, I was like, we're in home conditions. We've just come off the back of a competitive series versus India. Of course we're favourites. Overwhelming favourites. Do, do you think so or do you not think so? 100%. Um, we played them in the tri-series last year, right, against with Bangladesh. Yeah. And that's when John Campbell and Shai Hope put on that world record opening stand. But I feel that in the ODIs, we have to win 3-0. It has to be a 3-0 win to continue the momentum of India. And I think the quality we have, we can do that. T20s, I'd expect us to win the series, but it wouldn't surprise me if we maybe lost one, if we won the series 2-1, just because of the nature of T20s. You might have a player who, who for Ireland who's amazing with the ball or bat on that day, and that would win them the game. So the, the margins are finer there, but I do expect us to win both series. And I would say, based on the fact we're playing at home, it's a strong, confident squad. We are overwhelming favourites. So what, you, you, what you're saying is so you're saying 3-0 in the old eyes and 2-1 in the T20s? Um, I would say 3-0 in both. 3-0 ODIs, 3-0 T20s. But it wouldn't surprise me if we did lose one T20 just because of the nature of that format. I'm going to go with, although I said we're overwhelming favourites. Overwhelming favourites to me. Overwhelming favourites to me means we'll still lose some games, you know. So, um, I'm going to go 2-1 win, West Indies in the t uh, ODIs. Um, and 2-1 win West Indies um, in the T20s. Um, some would see okay. that as not good enough, but Ireland, Ireland are a full-member nation. I think we need to not have this attitude that Ireland are, are somehow significantly weaker um, than, than the yeah. West Indies. If the Irish players, I know they're in transition as a squad and some of their players have recently retired and so on and so forth, but... Yeah. Um, if the Irish players play to their maximum, there is no reason why they can't beat us in any version. In any one of those six games, there is no reason. If we were subpar and they played to their maximum, we would lose. Yeah. Yeah. But I would say I, I, I would be shocked if we did lose. We should have it in the bag. I mean, we shall see. I'd like to say um, um, I'm going to be speaking to 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 Rog. Um, later in the week to, to do a pod with him to just, just to get the island take on it just to see if if there is if they're confident for all i know the irish may be confident and say yeah we can turn the west indies over um on their own patch so we shall see but um 
we're coming up to the end and there's just one last thing um i wanted us to discuss spend about five or so minutes on this but um and it'll be intrigued for anyone who's listening to this i'd love to have your feedback as to what you think about this but um Earlier this week, it was announced um, in the Queen's Honours that uh, Clive Lloyd, uh, the great West Indian former captain, chairman of selectors, etc., etc., uh, the uh, Guyanese uh, Clive Lloyd was to get a knighthood, as was um, Gordon Greenwich. And um, on Twitter, and more importantly in the in the in the WhatsApp group chat I'm in with Santolki. Um, I said, Santolki, that no West Indian player should ever accept a Queen's honour, particularly the players from the great 70s and 80s generation. And um, <laughs> your thoughts, Santolki? Let's riff on this. Yeah, so my thoughts would be, I don't believe a West Indian player should take a knighthood from the Queen or the monarchy because of history. Obviously, we don't need to go through the history of what's happened to West Indians. But on, as I discussed with you off air, I can understand why that generation would take a knighthood as something to recognise their achievements, bearing in mind maybe the struggles they went through in the Caribbean. And also the fact, if you remember, like Clive Lloyd and Riv Richards, who, pre who has been knighted, um, I think he was knighted in Antigua rather than England, but he was knighted as well. They also managed to make careers playing county cricket. So maybe they feel some sort of gratitude towards England in that sense, and that's why they're so proud to accept a knighthood. So I think whilst I wouldn't personally agree with players accepting it, I do believe there's a generational gap and mentality between diaspora in England and then those who have born and grown up in the West Indies and their attitude towards England and the empire. Interesting. I've spoken to some Bayesian friends of mine, and I think... See, I'm I'm wary. I'm so wary of what I say about this topic. But you know me. <laughs> um, yeah. The Bayesian cricketers who accept it. Let me just say. Let me just say it. Say it my chest. The Bayesian cricketers who accept it. I'm never shocked when they accept it because Barbados yeah. is in the Caribbean has commonly been seen as kind of like little England. So in yeah. some regards and the kind of close affinity between Barbados and England, look at, you see when England tour West Indies, how the English love going to Barbados and Barbados yeah. loves having the English there. So in yeah. some senses, the point you're making about the older generation, see an affinity to the motherland, quote unquote, hmm. um, in that respect, I understand a Bayesian player specifically accepting a knighthood. My issue more so goes with players from other islands where I cannot hmm. remember when, when the West the West Indies only have only got its first black captain, uh, Frank Worrell, in nineteen sixty. That was the first yeah. black captain of the West Indies. Up until then, they weren't allowed to have a black captain. This is the generation yeah. that these ex-players grew up in. Clive Lloyd um, might have captained the West Indies in the 70s into the 80s or whatever. But he yeah. grew up and all of these players grew up at a time when the West Indies was seen as inferior to 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 the United Kingdom. So I find it hard to understand, even if they played in um, uh, county cricket, even if they are revered by nearly every cricket fan around the entire world. I find it hard to understand on a mental perspective how you can disassociate the era they grew up in and what it meant for West Indians to see a, a fantastic black and um, Asian, let's not forget um, the Asians within, yeah. or do we say Indians, Asian, whatever we want to say within the uh, West Indies, to see that represent yeah. the region. It was a form of black nationalism, so to speak, or Caribbean nationalism, was it not? Yeah. 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 And I think you made a valid point that you don't think any Jamaicans would ever except tonight at any Jamaican cricketers such as Michael Holden, because if you look at the list, Clive Lloyd is the first Guyanese, but everyone before that is either from Barbados or Antigua. Yeah, so I think, what, Andy Roberts must have one, Viv must have one, yeah. and then the rest Viv, the rest yeah. will be Bayesians. Now, yeah. I actually... Um, um, Mikey Holden was on uh, Mason's uh, Andrew Mason's show this week, actually, yeah. um, and actually to give... to. to 
although I said I don't think any Jamaican would ever accept one, Michael Holden was very um he, he was he was saying to Andrew Mason that oh he think it's he thinks it's a great thing that Clive Lloyd has finally been recognized and so on and so <laughs> forth. And I was slightly surprised um to hear Michael say that. Um, that doesn't mean he would accept one. He wasn't saying, oh, I would accept one, but yeah. he did say it's fantastic um, to see Clive Lloyd recognised. And he, he said he's yeah. surprised that Clive didn't get it much earlier than others. And then, and then you and I were talking about the fact that Guyana became a republic, I think, in 1966. 66. So yeah. I think Mikey Holden was saying somebody from a republic can't accept a knighthood. Um, yeah. But so Clive Lloyd's I, a British citizen. Clive Lloyd made, yeah. So he, because he'd made his debut test appearance after Guyana had achieved their independence, he didn't wouldn't technically qualify. Uh, but I think something to do with citizenship means that they can now consider him. But it's, it's going back to what Michael Holden said because even my mum, she said that she was proud of Clive Lloyd for being recognised, not because it, it was recognised by monarchy, just because that level of recognition and someone from Guyana or the Caribbean getting that recognition, she was just proud of that in and of itself. Ah, uh, that's interesting. So that that's yeah, and I'm thinking about another group chat I'm in where we were just talking. I was in another group chat. Forget cricket. I was in another group chat where, um, as a as a diaspora, we were talking about is it right for anyone. Uh, within the the B uh, the BAME B A M E um, uh, yeah. background to accept any kind of recognition from mm. like C B E M B because they have the words British mm. Empire in is it right for anyone to accept yeah. them and those those who were saying yes argued effectively the point your mum argued which is but it's right that people are celebrated for things that they have done which are I mean very very good. I mean, I think it boils down to, like I as well said, the generational gap. If you're, for instance, I think Benjamin Zephaniah turned yeah, down he said no, one yeah. of these awards, didn't he? He's obviously growing up in England. You're more confident growing up in England. You're you're allowed to have your own opinion. You're, you've got different avenues to learn, pick up information and learn from others. Someone like Clive Lloyd would have grown up going to a British school, British curriculum in Ghana. So for him, Britain would be like, it would be the motherland. So to have that, to be conditioned to think like that, it doesn't surprise me that Caribbeans of that generation would be proud to accept a knighthood from the British Empire. Would would you accept one? I wouldn't, know. <laughs> Why not? So let's say you did something, uh, I don't know what, but 20 years from now, you've yeah. done something and everyone's everyone recognises that you're brilliant. Why would you say no? It would make your mum proud, evidently. It would make my mum proud, but as, as I said, um, based on the kind of access to knowledge I have. So, for instance, we've talked about the books of uh, Dr. Walter Rodney, yes. How Europe Underdeveloped Africa. Mm -hmm. If you look at what the empire did to countries around the world, me personally, I would feel bad to accept an award from a system which has based demolished any sense of development for your ancestors I mean you know my answer already but you've, you, you've, <laughs> you've, used, you've used the word that I keep going back to the ancestors now yeah. technically Clive Lloyd, Andy Roberts Gordon Gre uh, Greenwich Viv, technically there are immediate ancestors or I class them as immediate ancestors but when I say ancestors and I use that term I mean the millions that died in slavery. That's what when I say ancestors, yeah. that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So whenever I'm on Twitter just riffing and running up my mouth and I talk about the ancestors <laughs> and I and I say, and like I I at someone like um that Tory chairman, James Cleverly or whatever his name is, and I say, yeah. Do you realise the ancestors are watching? I'm talking about mm. people who died in shackles. Um being yeah. you being used being used to make other countries rich. So when somebody talks about you, you can disassociate um, a knighthood or a CBE or an MBE from the past. No, I can't because if it, yeah. if it wasn't about the past, why are the words British empire still used that, that thing ended over yeah. how long ago now? 20 that ended over 80 years ago. Give or take whichever country Britain decided they could let them be free. Okay. So, yeah. 
that Parliament was asked whether they wanted recently in the last how many years, 10 years, Parliament was asked whether, whether the, the, the terminology should change around Queen's honours. And they said, no, it's tradition. <laughs> so that tells me that at the very yeah. top, they know the, the, what the, the connotations are and why people would have issues with, with the, the connotations behind the naming of these honours and yet still said, keep it because it's tradition. So I can't turn around <laughs> and accept that knowing that the people at the yeah. top don't seem to see an issue with it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, from my, from if I'm looking at it, so that that's like a level of an overview of exam, exactly why you wouldn't want to take it. If I'm putting myself into the mind of a West Indian cricketer who grew up in the 50s and 60s, so for instance, I don't know about Clive Lloyd's upbringing, but say Rohan Kanai, yeah, he grew up on a on a sugar estate. Mm. He played um he played cricket with a, a tree branch and a tennis ball, and so for someone to grow up in that environment and then down the line be saying okay the queen of this motherland which you've been told is the greatest thing wants to knight you for what you've achieved in your life on a human level i can understand why someone would take it having come from that sort of environment hmm. i mean but i don't i don't think like i could never imagine someone like chris gale taking it do you know what though but uh, modern we say that but now i'm just like hmm. You, you see the lists every year and everyone seems to ultimately want to take it um, because, let's be cynical, it opens up doors for a lot of people as well. So, I mean, who hasn't? Who hasn't? I know Benjamin Zephaniah did. Did Miss Dynamite refuse it? Someone's uh, musicians refused it. But I can't think of that many people who have actually refused it. Put it this way. The list of who said no is significantly smaller than the list of who, <laughs> of who, of who said yes. So um, ultimately, yeah. I mean... Some would some will listen to this and probably get in their feelings about what we're saying. Um, and ultimately, we can't tell anybody whether they should or shouldn't accept uh, any honours, yeah, any honours exactly. from the Queen. What we know for facts is that Clive Lloyd definitely deserves to be celebrated um, for yeah. his role in West Indies cricket and cricket as a whole. Whether that celebration should be a knighthood um, from the Queen or not is to me up to debate but ultimately as your mum says at least i guess on some level his brilliance is being recognized yeah because it is he's obviously someone who played a long time ago maybe he's not he's not mentioned in modern day news outside of west indian media really or unless england tour west india so this is good in terms of it was on bbc news clive lloyd former west indian cricketer gets some nightheads so for him personally I'm happy that he's getting the recognition he deserves for what he achieved in West Indies. But like you said, the manner in which he's achieving it is up to debate, as we've uh, kind of shown in the last 10 minutes. <laughs> so, uh, ladies and gents, anyone who's listened to that, I'm fairly certain that that last 10 minutes or so is going to cause a few people to want to jump into the DMs and say, how dare you, etc., etc., etc. Feel free to. We love the conversation. We love the interaction. We, 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 we're, we're, even open, we're even open to having people on the show, man. We can do call-ins or something. We can get them on if they're, they're that passionate about their views because this is a healthy debate to have. Yeah, 100%. We're always looking out for more fun. Before I forget, before we wrap up the show as well, congratulations to... Mr. Salute, Sheldon Cotterill, big IPM deal after the tour of India. I think it was 1.2 million he got in the end. Yeah, uh, well done to um, the former Jamaican, the, the former JDF man. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think we'll talk about the IPL, the West Indians yeah. who got the IPL deal probably closer to when IPL um, starts. But yeah, you're right. Big salute <laughs> to Sheldon. Whether he... I mean, he's... gone. He's someone who... Two years ago, if you had said he would have got an IPL deal, I wouldn't have believed you because he was never a standout. I mean, someone like O'Shane Thomas or Hashimon Hetmeyer, because they started their career so explosively and the, the, the way that they played a game, you'd expect it. Where Sheldon Cottrell, it's been more of a hustle. He's had to work hard. I think he's 30 or 31 now. So it's good he's finally achieved that big kind of stage in the IPL. Yeah, and I think as Phil Simmons says... What did he go for? Over a mil? That he said it's life changing. Yeah. Not not too dissimilar to Shimron Hetmeyer. It's life changing money. And um, yeah. the one thing I would say about Sheldon is the salute thing. Some will say, "Oh, it's tiresome," but it's got. You look at all the images of kids doing it, and that's you see any yeah. sport at its core. That's what every sport is about. It's about 
individuals and personalities and or teams encouraging the next generation to want to get into the sport. And Sheldon Cottrell is probably, I'd argue, bigger than just being a West Indies cricketer. I mean, I mean, the video of um, he went, I think during the World Cup, he, there were a load of kids at one of the English cities who came and they all did the salute with him. I think that was probably the highlight of our whole World Cup campaign for the West Indies. Yeah, that was our best performance. <laughs> so ladies and gents on that note um we're going to wrap this one up it's obviously gone longer than it, it we thought it would but that's what always happens because we record them so infrequently um as ever i've been uh Michelle st patrick hewitt um and you've been I've been Santoki. It's been a pleasure discussing West Indies cricket and I look forward to your feedback on social media. So that's good night from us and we look forward to doing episode five sometime in the next six months. 